Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Today's show includes portions of a recent webinar about Maine's shellfish industry and the seafood supply chain. Since the webinar was recorded on April 14th, 2021, we will not be taking any calls today. Welcome to Shellfish Focus Day number three, From the Mud to Your Plate, Shellfish Markets and the Seafood Supply Chain. This is the last in a three-part series of events to highlight Maine's shellfish populations um, and shellfish industries. Um, this series is being sponsored by the Maine Fishermen's Forum as part of the suite of programs that the forum is offering this year in lieu of its in-person annual event, which as we know, got canceled due to the global pandemic. Um, and as many people know, the full Thursday agenda at the Maine Fishermen's Forum is usually dedicated to sharing information and research updates and all kinds of good information related to the Maine shellfish industry and um, habitats. Um, and so this webinar series has been an attempt to keep the information flowing, and we've been thrilled to see how that's been happening, even though we're in a virtual format. Um, my name is Natalie Springle. I work for the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, and I'm excited to be with you all here today and to help facilitate our conversation with all of our guests and all of you who are participating on the webinar. Um, and just for folks who weren't able to attend the previous events, just so folks know what we've covered, the first topic in the series covered shellfish harvesting um, and included efforts to restore clam flats in various areas of the coast. And the second webinar covered what changes harvesters and scientists are seeing on the mudflats. Um, so let's come up to today. Um, today, we're talking about shellfish markets and the seafood supply chain. The path that a clam or another shellfish travels from the mud to our plates um, can be confusing and it's often unknown or even invisible to consumers. And we have some great guests here today who can help us tease all that out and understand how it works and how it fits in within the context of the shellfish economy. Um, the first person I wanted to introduce is my co-facilitator for this webinar, and that's Jessica Joyce. Jessica is with Tidal Bay Consulting, and she's also on the Maine Shellfish Advisory Council. And um, Jessica also coordinated much of this event. So Jessica, welcome. I'm looking forward to facilitating this with you. Thanks, Natalie. Likewise, I know this isn't quite the same as the in-person forum and shellfish focus day, but we've had some good conversations in the first two and I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Great. 
Um, so Jessica and I, are, and I are joined by a variety of panelists who each play a role at very various sort of levels of the seafood supply chain. Um, and those panelists include uh, Mike Danforth. Um, Mike is the operations manager at Maine Shellfish. He's also on the Shellfish Advisory Council and on the Maine Department of Marine Resources Advisory Council. We have Barbara Scully, who's the owner of Scully's Sea Products, and she's a commercial harvester. Hi, Barbara. Um, and then we also have Joe Parada. Um, Joe Parada is a commercial harvester and chair of the Frenchman Bay Regional Shellfish Committee. We have um, a few other folks who are going to be trickling in. I'll just let you know who's going to be, who we're expecting to have trickle in in the next little bit here. Um, we're expecting Tim Sheehan, who's the owner of Gulf of Maine, Inc., and a commercial harvester out of Pembroke. We have Kwang Nguyen, whose pronunciation I'm sure I butchered and we'll ask him to say it right. He's the owner of Fisherman's Net out of Portland. Um, and then we're going to have Bo Marsh, who's an operator at Community Shellfish Company. And we also have with us here today, Cole Canwit, who's the director of the Bureau of Public Health at the Maine Department of Marine Resources. I think I got everyone except for Charles. Um, I am excited to introduce Charles Rudlich. We've asked Charles specifically to help set the context for our conversation related to sort of the economic trends associated with the shellfish industry for the last several decades. Thank you. Um, so my name is Charles Rutledge. I'm the executive director of the Sunrise County Economic Council, which is an economic development group in Washington County. We're also a partner in the Downey's Fisheries Partnership, which is a nine agency um, effort to essentially sustain and expand the commercial fisheries in Eastern Maine um, and to help the communities that rely on them. I just wanted to start with a you know, high level view of commercial fishing in Maine. It's a massive industry. You know, even last year during the pandemic, you know, over 500 million in value essentially at the dock side. Um, and just in context, that's like two paper mills you know, it's half the size of the Washington County total economy. It's more money than the federal and state governments pay for healthcare for everyone who lives in Hancock and Washington County. It's just a major part of the main economy. Um, it's really dominated by lobster, as all of you know, but um, the, um, as you can see here, looking at 2020, you know, lobster is a little under 80%, you know, other species about 18, and then clams and quahogs, you know, shellfish, about 4%. So a relatively small part of a very major industry. Um, this is another way of looking at um, value over the last few years. Again, you can see that shellfish are between four and 5% in most years, um, but commercial fishing is incredibly important. And even at four or 5%, um, the value of clam and quahogs are significant. You know, we're talking you know, around 20 million most years. Um, and it means it's the primary means of support. You know, it's how hundreds of families make their way in the world through clamming. And it's a supplemental income for thousands of families in Maine. So very important to coastal communities, very important to this overall commercial fishing sector, which of course is one of the major um, economic or drivers in coastal Maine. So, I should go back to this. So we're talking, you know, a 
harvest of, again, between 15, 20 million, depending on the year. Um, I want to place that in a longer context. This actually looks at the last 70 years of softshell clams. I should mention softshell clams are usually about 80% of the total value of that clam and quahog sector, which, as I said before, was between 4 and 5% of the total landings. Um, so the biggest part of that sector, softshell clams, and this looks at that um, landings value over a much longer time frame. This looks at 70 years. Um, and it's a way of showing that we're actually at a relative low point in the value of softshell clams in real dollars um, being um, landed in Maine. And we're actually at an even lower point when you look in pounds. So this is a, you know, sorry to go so quick, but I didn't, the, what I was hoping to get across was one commercial fishing, one of the major drivers of the coastal economy, one of the major drivers of the main economy, incredibly important. Softshell clams and quahogs are a relatively small portion of that at four or 5% value, but still critically important for a few hundred families where the fishing makes up a key part of that family's income and it provides supplemental income for thousands of families across the coast. So an important source of supplemental income also. Most of that's being driven by softshell clams and softshell clams are at a relatively low point at a very low point when you look at harvest in just volume, you know, in the actual weight of meats that are being um, landed or clams that are being landed, um, the live weights. Um, and also at a relatively low point in value, even though the value has gone up a little bit. So it's blunted some of the impact of the lower amounts that are being landed. But we're definitely looking at a critical industry that's in a period of stress. And the one other thing I wanted to mention, which is actually something I don't have a graph for, is we don't have a lot of insight into what happens in value between when the clam is sold to the first dealer and when it reaches its end user. Um, we think there's obviously a lot more economic activity there. There's a lot of value added, and I, I think the panel will shed a lot of light on that today, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, but there's a lot we don't know about how much value, how much economic activity happens in that space between when the clam is sold from the harvester to a dealer and when it finally is eaten by someone. Thank you, Charles. Um, that that space really between when it's harvested to when it's consumed, um, it's really interesting what I'm hearing you say is that that space is the information and the data that we have about sort of the, the economic trajectory of the organism the data that we have is anecdotal. Um, and, and so um, if I'm understanding you correctly, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing from our panelists to help us kind of flesh out, well, what does that look like and how does that work? So um, thanks Charles for, for your context there, the economic context. Um, now that we have a little bit of context, um, I wanted to give our panelists, the dealers and the buyers, a chance um, to kind of introduce yourselves and to tell us your story a little bit, um, sort of how you got going in this industry and what it is that um, you really do and, and what your role is. Um, and maybe let's start with Mike Danforth from Maine Shellfish. <laughs> I was hoping you were not going to do that to me. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, getting back to the previous gentleman's presentation, uh, it was really good, but 
a different way of thinking about that four or five percent that comes from the actual shellfish industry that's direct money that's going into people's checking accounts there's no boat payments there's no bank interest there's no fuel bills and all that stuff coming out of that money that's 20 million dollars that actually goes into people people's homes that's making a living there's very little overhead to harvesting those species in in gear or ex daily expense so uh the four or five percent in, in my opinion as an economic booster is fairly low i mean uh, of course it would be just my opinion but uh i think that that four or five percent really takes care of uh a lot more people than what it's given credit for i guess mm -hmm. but uh with us myself i i started out digging clams in a little town called cutler maine as as a young man or a young child actually and uh went on to become a commercial fisherman and uh, did that for uh, almost two decades and uh, tried a couple other careers, merchant marine and whatnot, and ended up here at uh, Maine Shellfish as uh, the operations manager. I guess what that means is I have my hands in every part of the business, so to speak, but uh, we buy steamers and hard shell clams mussels oysters all that kind of stuff off harvesters aquaculturists and whatnot and uh the steamers or the soft shell clams we break down into smaller packages as low as two pound packages for certain restaurants or takeouts or accounts we shuck a few uh, a few of the clams depending on what the market wants or whether the whole live market is what's in demand at the time or the uh, shuck clam market, what we do with the product after we get it. We, we break, uh, we'll bring in bushels, break them down into increments that whatever customer calls us during the night orders from anywhere from bushels of the, of the product to as low as two pound orders and deliver them all over the state of Maine on a daily basis. Uh, so, you know, the product goes from us and gets washed up, called, cleaned, all of the paperwork and the, uh, the tracking and, and uh, whatnot is done electronically here at Maine Shell, which is a, which is a good thing. And uh, somebody buys a gallon of clams off us. And I can tell you, what digger and what flat that clam came from, uh, no matter where we deliver certain gallons or certain lots of gallons or certain parts of bushels. Other than that, I mean, we do, we do mark them up. There's a certain amount of shrinkage that comes with bushels. I mean, you pay, pay for a 50 pound bushel and if you keep it overnight or two days, it turns into a 46 pound bushel. So the uh, volume measurement turns into a weight measurement and and uh, that, that, of course, comes out of our uh, over, you know, what we make. But uh, other than that, is, are there any questions in what we do with the products or anything like that? I mean, some of the gallons we do freeze uh, for later use. We intentionally freeze. We don't, uh, we do not take our clams and uh, hold them for very long. We shock and anything with a date over 
two or three days gets uh, gets frozen for uh, later use or if the flats close due to rain or something like that our customers have another option as far as a usable product to fall back on but uh, any questions for me i'd take them anytime Great, thank you, Mike. I'm sure that we will have questions for you. Um, let's get everyone introduced so we have a sense of everyone here, um, and then we'll we'll launch the questions. Um, so uh, let's go with Barbara Scully. Um, you are a buyer and a harvester, and you do all kinds of things. And your business is Scully Sea Products. Tell a little, tell us a little bit about what you do, how you got into it, and what the scope of your business is. Um, hi, my original background is as a marine scientist um, and for a period of time, for 12 and a half years, I actually worked at the Department of Marine Resources, which is where coal currently works. I've worked periodically with Bigelow Labs, um, but I, I was always quite interested in commercial fisheries and how science could help um, just, just help protect and develop sustainable fisheries. Um, so my, my first, uh, my, in my first life, I owned Glidden Point Oyster Sea Farm. So I was an aquaculture business. And so I, I, during that, I was shipping nationwide large quantities of oysters that either I grew myself or other shellfish that I was buying from, from diggers. Uh, harvesters or from wholesale dealers. And um, I sold that business about six years ago, five, five years ago. And now I'm doing something that's much more, you know, I call it quiet. It's still quite busy, but um, I'm, I'm a commercial harvester myself of wild oysters and little necks. Um, my business also buys from other commercial harvesters. My business also buys from some wholesale dealers. And I have a small retail shop in the, in the yard. I have a website that ships FedEx overnight or two day nationwide. And I also have a distribution to a number of um, local restaurants in the state of Maine. So I don't do anything out of state in terms of large wholesaling anymore. Everything that I do out of state now is whatever can be shipped um, effectively using FedEx. Thank you, Barb. Um, it's so interesting to hear the diverse scope of what you do. I'm looking forward to hearing more um, from you as the as this session continues. Um, let's go next to um, Joe Parada, who is on the phone with us. Joe, when you get a moment, go ahead and star six to unmute yourself and tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into it and what you're mostly focusing on these days. Well, I, uh, I moved here in 1983 with $600 in a tent, thinking I'd get a, a bartending waiting job, and uh, which I did. And then I met a clam digger, and for some reason, a couple of them took a liking to me and showed me how to do, how to do it. And uh, so since then, um, I've, with a couple of um, years of different things, like I've, I worked managing a restaurant in Bar Harbor, for three years. Um, I worked at Maine Shellfish briefly before Mike was there. And 
I've worked in a couple of restaurants doing odds and ends, but pretty much with, like I said, a couple of gaps have, have clammed um, ever since 1983 and uh, pretty much solid clamming for the past three, uh, f- probably five years, um, digging some cohogs and of late mostly soft shell clams because it's just been a lot more lucrative. Um, like today I dug 221 pounds of soft shells, which was, was pretty good. And, um, so now I sell, there's a, there's a woman down East, um, DLK seafood who likes, who, who likes to buy my clams when I have small ones. So when I have stuff that's pretty much all under three inches, she gets those for her shucking shop, um, a couple of days a week, usually. But like today, the ones I dug were probably an average of three, three and a quarter. I think they'd probably even be too big for Mike at Maine Shellfish for what their uses are. But there are a couple of buyers that will that like those and have no problem taking them. So yeah, so the past few years I've been pretty much solely harvesting soft shell clams. I've dabbled in quahog aquaculture a little bit up here. Um, I that didn't really work mostly for sort of a labor issue and uh, time spent um, from my perspective. So I kind of got out of that. Um, I'm going to begin playing with a few oysters again this, this summer. I've got 50,000 small nine to 13 millimeter ones coming just a sort of a hobby project. I guess my non-retirement fund I've been calling it. Um, so yeah, I sell, I sell a few domain shellfish on occasion. Um, mostly I sell to Trenton bridge lobster pound and some go to a shucking shop down East. Uh, DLK Seafoods. Um, that's pretty much what I'm doing now. If you're just tuning in, that was Joe Parada, a shellfish harvester from Hancock, on today's Coastal Conversations here on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at weru.org. A heads up to our listeners that we won't be taking any calls today because we're broadcasting portions of a webinar that was recorded on April 14th, 2021. Our topic today is all about shellfish markets and the seafood supply chain, and our next speaker is Quang Nguyen, owner of Fisherman's Net in Portland, talking about the scope of his business as a shellfish dealer. My name is Quang Nguyen. I own a uh, um, little seafood store in Portland, Maine. I took over the business about two and a half years ago. Um, it was there supporting local business, you know, local community for a while, uh, Fisherman Net. Um, uh, but then we kind of changed the strategy, uh, still focus on local, but then start picking up uh, my niche market, which is the Asian community across the country, uh, shipping lobster overnight, and um, also adding steamer, cohort, and, and all of the other seafood on top of it as a value-added product on top of the lobster. Um, and steamer has been, you know, one of my um, very popular products added to the lobster as a, a combo package. Um, we buy directly from the harvester. Uh, they bring in like twice a week, and uh, we store them, we pack them, um, and then uh, it comes to the consumer, and then it start, you know, getting the word out for people that, you know, besides lobster, that we, we have all, also other products in Maine that's really good, really well-known as well. So that's, that's where I'm at. Great. Thank you. It's great to have you. Looking forward to hearing your stories. Um, Thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, I think that we have heard from all of our dealers and buyers. Um, at some point in this conversation, I'm going to want you guys to define some of these terms, dealers and buyers and that sort of thing. Um, but first, we wanted to um, ask a question of Cole to help us set the stage also in terms of what do folks in the seafood supply chain need to pay attention to in terms of public health. Um, and Cole is with the Department of Marine Resources with the Public Health Department. So it seemed like a great opportunity to kind of get some, some foundations in place about the public health questions related to shellfish. Cole, welcome. Hi, Natalie. Um, I appreciate being part of this panel and I would just like to, you know, sort of frame the whole bivalve shellfish industry as um, really, the, it's very significant to have shellfish sanitation in place. And in Maine, the Department of Marine Resources is the um, sole authority, that's what it's called, um, for basically implementing the National Shellfish Sanitation Program throughout the state. And what that um, deals with is bivalve shellfish. So think of anything with two shells, like clams, oysters, mussels. And the reason that we have a specific interest or that the nation as a whole has a specific interest in bivalve shellfish is because they're filter feeders. And so they feed, um, they filter the water and take particles out of the water and take them into their bodies. And then we eat the animals whole and sometimes raw or um, what's considered, you know, undercooked by say uh, maybe FDA standards, even if you steam clams. Um, so shellfish sanitation is really important. And the premise is, is that if the water that they're grown in is clean, then the shellfish themselves are gonna be clean. And then we ensure as the department that we're classifying the shellfish growing areas to be sure that that water's clean from potential pollutants, you know, whether they're fecal coliform type sources or chemical or anything else that you can imagine. Um, also marine biotoxins, which occur naturally. And we classify those growing areas and then harvesters uh, harvest the shellfish and then they go to dealers and we also inspect the dealers, ensure that the dealers have sanitary conditions, that the way they're handling the product keeps it clean and safe. And so, you know, the bottom line is, is that if you're buying main shellfish from certified shellfish dealers, you can be completely confident that it's absolutely safe. And that's what our job is, um, sort of in the background of all the growing and marketing and sales. Great, thank you, Cole. Um, and I wondered if I could call on Barb for a second because um, Barb, it sounds like um, you have had a foot in, in several different places, including being with DMR at one point, and now you're on the, the, the business side of the equation. What would be some things that you think um, we ought to be, to make sure that we talk about related to this question of public safety? Okay, yes. Um, I think the consumers really, um, have, have a responsibility themselves to make sure that, like Cole said, they're buying from a dealer that they can trust, from a source that they can trust. And, you know, so pay attention to the things like the, the details. Is it clean? You know, does it, does it smell good? Does it smell, does it smell bad? Do, do, are the people inside behaving in a professional manner? There is a lot that goes on behind the scenes in keeping the shellfish safe and 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 in that way keeping the people safe. And um, one thing that concerns me, uh, 
I've been in, in this industry for 35 years and I've had people come to the shop and um, buy some shellfish and ask to buy an extra mesh bag because they want to, after they buy the shellfish from me, they want to go home and hang it off of the stern of their boat or off of their dock to freshen it. And what they could potentially be doing is taking something that's very safe and legal and then putting it in a body of water that they don't know that we've all done our homework and made sure that, that the shellfish is sourced from um, an approved growing area. And they may take it to an area that is unknown to them, not safe, either from pollution or chemicals or biotoxins, and then, you know, make themselves ill. So, uh, you know, there, people that come to me and they want to go like pick the wild blueberries and dig their own clams and, and take the mussels off the bottom of their float and have like a, a natural wild experience rather than buying from a dealer. But in the state of Maine, especially with 3,500 miles of coastline, there are a lot of unknowns. And um, there are a lot of things that you wouldn't expect your average consumer to, to know or even know how to find. And, and so I just say, you know, as a word of caution, um, I would rather that when people do come to Maine on vacation, they buy their shellfish from a certified dealer that they trust rather than harvest their own. There's a lot less risk that way. Um, and then you are coming and supporting the local economy. You're, you, you know, you're supporting the licensed dealers, you're supporting the um, harvesters that do need to make a living. And it's just a good way to approach life in general. Like I, 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 I equate it to you know, we wouldn't take our children for a walk in the woods and have them pick the pretty red berries, right? Like we all, or, or, or the mushrooms, right? There, there's a certain level of caution that is brought to wild harvesting of other things in our environment that for some reason is not brought to shellfish. And it's very applicable. So I would just suggest that people consider the same parameters in terms of their own health and their family's health when, when they're thinking in terms of harvesting their own shellfish. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a, that's a really good point. Why don't we buy from the people who are trained and know how to make sure that the product is safe, just like in any other consumer exactly. thing. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thanks, Barb. Um, I see that we have one of our new panelists who has been able to hop on. Hi, Bo. Welcome aboard. Great to have you. Um, Bo, we are um, just in the process of, we, we've heard everybody's introductions. Um, wondered if you would be able to introduce yourself and say a little bit about what the scope of your business is. You're with Community Shellfish Company um, and sort of how you got into this whole thing of shellfish, this whole world. Well, I've been doing it for about 13 years now. So it was a while. I can't really remember that far back. So we'll have to... <laughs> No, I, I used to, um, I, I worked for, I started out in this business working for a group, a, a lobster co-op who wanted to expand into shellfish and shellfish processing. And I, uh, 
I did that for them for four or five years. And then um, they decided that they didn't want to do it anymore and concentrate on lobsters. And so um, I bought that business from them. And I started that in about 2013 with Community Shellfish. And since we've expanded, actually, we, we've ex uh, expanded into lobster, into oyster growing. We have an oyster farm. Um, and we do a lot of uh, seafood processing, uh, lobster, mainly clams. And I heard Cole talking about that and Barbara, um, about custody and everything. And so we buy clams directly from the harvesters and um, we process about 75% of them into uh, main frying clams and um, the rest we sell into the market, wholesale, retail, and uh, directly to the consumer, well, I guess it's, which is retail. So, so yeah, I've been in it for quite a while and I just heard some of the comments um, earlier and uh, about custody and safety of shellfish and you know, open area, buying product from open areas and all that is, uh, is very, very, very true. And um, so since I'm sort of the middleman in this whole game, um, you know, it's, it's up to me. So the harvester has the primary responsibility of getting, you know, harvesting the shellfish from open approved areas that are safe. And uh, then they come to me and it's my job to, with uh, as best I can to make sure that that is actually the fact. And then we have to handle our product perfectly in terms of temperature and in terms of just, uh, you know, culling and handling. And uh, then we pass it on to the consumer. Um, or process it within under those same very, very stringent um, sanitary conditions. So um, it is a long learning curve and it, uh, to do it right. And um, when you do do it right, you have a delightful main, the best of the world product to give into the world. And if you do it wrong, it's, uh, it's a big problem for everybody, uh, right down to the harvester and it lowers the quality of all the shellfish that comes into the markets from from Maine people. So we, we all have this sort of joint responsibility to um, really do the right job in terms of safety and, and the highest quality. So that's sort of expanded on your question, but uh, there you go, so. Great, thank you, Bo. I'm gonna hand it over to Jessica now who is gonna ask our next round of questions. Thanks, Natalie. When we were planning this event, we, talked about the fact that for the general public, a lot is not known about what happens when a clam is harvested from the mud and what happens in the supply chain for it to end up as that bowl of steamers or fried clam sandwich. Um, so what we'd like to do is walk you through the supply chain, starting with the harvesting of a clam and going through that. And hopefully we'll define some of these terms that we've been throwing around now as well. So first, I'd like to start with Joe, uh, if you can unmute and tell us, just walk us through what you actually do to plan your day, getting out on the flats, what happens, how long you're out there, and then what you do um, with the clams once you have them all bagged up and, and ready to go. Yeah, it's not terribly complicated. <laughs> um, I, I usually go by boat or canoe. Um, I have several boats, a couple of them up in uh, the Taunton River. Just they're smaller, low power, or paddled. Um, I have a larger boat for going out into the into the major into uh, Greater Frenchman's Bay. 
Um, today was a, a short boat ride, maybe a half a mile from where I have one boat kept. Um, so yeah, I, I, like yesterday I had a call from a woman who shucks clams. She wanted some ste- some small stuff under three inches. Um, I had about 170 pounds. I called her and I told her to probably 30 pounds of them were too, too big for her purposes. And so she declined to take them. Um, so I, I took them to, uh, my most major buyer. It was no problem. And, um, so I'll like sort of try to plan, um, if this woman wants some small clams, I'll try to accommodate her on a couple days a week. Um, so I, I think about things like, okay, so I, I can probably get maybe 125, 150 pounds of what she wants. Um, but like today I, I knew I could get over 200 pounds somewhere else of bigger clams. So I, you know, like us clam diggers, we try to like anybody go for the better money. Um, so those are, those, those are two things I kind of think about. Um, and you know, weather is a big issue for us sometimes it's just too much wind for a boat and maybe you can find a place to walk in. Okay. Or maybe you can take a boat ride to along a lee shore to a lee flat and, you know, be safe and and reasonably comfortable. Um, and then, you know, like, uh, I, I, I do dig cohogs on occasion, although I haven't in the past couple of years, I'll sell those, uh, to main shellfish usually. Um, so I, I, it kind of revolves around how many I can get and who's paying the best price. Um, I'm sure that's true for all clamors, and and for people you know who are, who are buying and selling stuff too. Everybody, you know, we're all trying to to make a living from this. So I guess you know that's that's the first consideration, and then safety's kind of like over over all of that, obviously. Um, you know, and then I'll, I'll wash the clams really well. Um, make sure there's no, personally, I make sure there's no breakage in them. I make sure they're very clean. And, you know, because we are selling food. Then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put, put them in the boat. And I use rollers. They're also called hods in places. Some people just call them baskets. Today, I did all, mostly pulling, which involves wearing a fairly tight glove on your hand hands i pull with both hands uh some people call it picking that's mostly i guess kind of south of the, or west of the penobscot but um so uh, today i pulled clams um probably was getting something like a pack every 20 minutes 15 20 minutes and then they were washed really well and taken to the buyer where you know they're weighed um and i get paid and i go home and uh like mike said that that's a direct payment to me that I will spend locally in this lo- in our local economy, which I just wanted to emphasize that that's, that's a really big part of uh, clamming, you know, harvesting clams to me as a, as a chair of the Frenchman's Bay shellfish committee that, uh, you know, our people make good money in, in, as supplying the, the, you know, the, the primary supplier of the shellfish food chain. Um, and it's a, uh, it's really important for for all the people I work with, including the buyers. So that's that's how I that's pretty much it for me. You know, get go clamming, get in the boat, clam, wash them up, and take them to the buyer, and uh, then go home. Great, thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. 
Yep. And one of the buyers that we had today um, who had a previous buying station down east actually had to end up working on the water today. Uh, it's a nice day, so we won't blame him, um, Tim Sheehan of, of Gulf of Maine, Inc. Um, so we're going to go right next to Mike Danforth. If you can tell us what happens when that product shows up at, at your door at Maine Shell, can you walk us through those steps? As you said, the digger or harvester brings the product to our door. We check to make sure that the product is tagged properly with the harvest location, time dug, license information on it, which is uh, entered into our system immediately uh, as, as the gentleman is standing there, actually. We weigh the clams into 50 pound increments or bushel increments and put them away for later processing, should that processing be shucking or uh, breaking the bushels down into uh, steamers, cleaning them up, making sure there's no breakage, the size is correct. That's something you look at first thing when a guy brings in bushels to make sure that they're legally <laughs> of size and whatnot, and they came from a clean growing area. Uh, the next morning, we will take the clams and break those down into increments that our customers buy. Be it some of our customers like to say that they want a bushel or a half a bushel or a pack, and a lot of the customers buy by the pound. So we weigh those up into different packages and tag each lot or for each customer individually and uh, distribute them all over to everywhere from, from uh, small takeouts to larger restaurants. Hospitals don't use many steamers, but we do sell some stuff to them and uh, whatnot. And after that, we just try to get paid. <laughs> it's just that simple. That was Mike Danforth of Maine Shellfish Company in Ellsworth talking about his business's role as a shellfish dealer in getting products to market. You're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio 89.9 FM in Blue Hill and streaming online at weru.org. Our show today features portions of a recent webinar called From the Mud to Your Plate, Shellfish Markets and the Seafood Supply Chain. The webinar aired on April 14th, 2021, and so we're not taking any calls today. Next up is Bo Marsh of Community Shellfish Company in Bremen, and he shares how his operation, like Maine Shellfish Company, relies on building solid relationships with the harvesters who sell them their product. Here's Bo. Yeah, no, it's it's very similar. As as uh, Mike said, it's it's just a matter of, you know, of, of buying buying clams exactly as, as uh, Joe had said, that he's the harvester and he goes out and finds the clams in the open area, uh, brings them to us um, and we identify them. We, we usually know our harvesters. Harvesters tend to, um, you know, if you dig around Bremen or Waldeboro or whatnot, there's a couple dealers that are there, us and uh, and a and Shellfish, which is uh, Abden Simmons in April. And uh, so we tend to know our, our harvesters. We happen to, you know, we seem to know where they dig and we develop, uh, you know, a trusting relationship with them that we're going to get good, good quality and that we're going to pay them, you know, as best we can. 
Um, one interesting thing um, that's happening now is, is you know, the clam market, uh, if you're talking about steamers and, you know, whatnot, has been very, very strong in price lately. And it's, uh, it's really, I think this, this winter was probably the highest price. Um, you know, Mike has been in this for a while, so he'll, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a record price this, this winter. Uh, we paid summer prices at $150 a bushel uh, to the harvesters. And, and, you know, the clam market, the steamer market is changing a little bit, um, you know, and this has a lot to do with supply and demand. Uh, the, the, the steamer clam uh, is under a little bit of um, environmental pressure right now from natural predators such as worms and crabs and whatnot. So, um, but still we have a very robust market. Um, you know, our main steamers are beginning to stick out. But basically, back to what your question was, is we uh, we buy from our, our harvesters. We put them immediately. Uh, they go, they're marked. We have a system called Oyster Tracker that we uh, do, auto, you know, electronically do all of our logs and they go into the cloud. And, and so once those are all booked in, we put them in our cooler at 35 degrees where they stay until they're used further. We process right on the premises. Um, we, that's a luxury um, because we can discern between um, the size of our clams, uh, the smaller, more delicate clams go into the steamer market and the slightly larger ones go into the, um, to the, to the processing uh, department where they're you know, either sold fresh or frozen. So um, that's about it. We, we also sell, um, you know, basically we, we have markets pretty much up and down the East Coast and uh, we're beginning to go nationally a little bit right now. So it's quite an exciting time. Um, and, but that's basically the chain of custody. So every single step has a chain of custody as Cole will, uh, let, will let you know um, from the absolute, uh, you know, the moment they hit our dock to the moment they hit the fork, there's a chain of custody. And it's our job in the middle to, you know, take carry our part of that custody through and handle them well, as I said before. So that's, that's really it. It's, it's, uh, it's, quite a, it's quite a straightforward business. It could be, you know, could be wood. It doesn't matter. It's just a, a chain of custody, harvest, process, and sell. So. Thank you for those perspectives. So I'm going to turn it over to the, the retail side. And Barb and Quang, if you also want to touch on um, selling to restaurants and that piece or some of the other species um, that you sell. So let's go ahead and start with Quang. Can you share from your perspective? So now we have the clams um, from the harvester to the dealer and then um, to the retailer. So if you could just share a little bit um, more about your, your business and, and how you interact with your customers. Yeah, so we do a lot of, you know, retail at the store and also we ship it out. Um, we do, you know, like customers come in, they walk in, they look at the steamer. Um, they mostly buy lobster. In the summer, like we, a lot of customers want to buy lobster and steamer together. It's like a, a combo. Um, so, yeah, we serve them in like a, a five or two pound bag um, for them and prepare it, put it in the cooler and save it in there for them. And then uh, as far as shipping, we usually uh, put them in like a two pound bag, um, two pound net. 
and then we um, put it in a box with gel eyes and we usually put like a little um, bubble wrap um, around it so that you know it doesn't get broken uh, when it transits with FedEx or UPS. Um, so and we we got you know great feedback you know on, on the way of shipping you got you know some broken but you know only like about thirty to five percent so it's not as you know major um, and people lo- love it you know people take it it's really uh, something special for Maine um, most of them are so used to the hot shell clams um, so the steamer kind of give it a little bit different a little bit you know um, new from Maine that they have beside lobster. So I think I think it's it provide a great value or provide a great add-on into our um, seafood selections. Okay, thanks. And and just one follow-up too. When we were speaking in advance of the panel, you had talked about also um, selling razor clams and whelks and some other seafood that doesn't necessarily have a local market, but that you found some niche markets for. Yeah, um, so I think, you know, I, I have, you know, our Asian community and they love uh, whelk, the live whelk, and then a razor clam. Um, I've been buying the razor clam from Massachusetts, but I think, you know, if we can find a source in Maine that can provide razor clam, I think that's going to have a huge market. I mean, right now, um, I'm buying, I'm paying like a very good price for, for razor clam. Uh, from Massachusetts, um, so I think if we can find that source, or uh, even the live whelk, you know, that's just stuck into the lobster boat, um, those can go. Um, you know, we can take somewhere between five to seven hundred power a week on live whelk, and then for razor, that could be about the same amount of uh, product that we can move a week uh, throughout the country to different Asian market, different consumer home, uh, mostly Asian that can can take those um, on any day. Great. Thank you for that. All right. So I think we're going to end with Barb. Uh, If you want to talk about your customers and um, some of your products in uh, your store. Sure. Uh, I mean, the the topics have pretty much been covered uh, thoroughly to this point. There's one thing that um, that I think consumers should feel free to do and should do more often um, is ask when products were harvested. Uh, Every person who is a responsible shellfish dealer or retailer um, has that information right at their fingertips. Everything has a tag that goes with it, that goes right back to, everybody's been talking about the chain of custody. anything that you get from a wholesale dealer can be traced right back to the original harvester and the original date of harvest. And uh, we all keep extensive records. And I highly recommend that, um, that the consumers just ask when things were harvested, ask how fresh this is. Um, but also that goes back to go, going to supporting places that are doing a good job. Um, so I would just suggest that it's it's in your own best interest to find a place that consistently does have good quality and stick with that. Great. Thanks for those tips, Barb. So I think right now we're going to take a few audience questions and let's go ahead. The first question is the million dollar question is how did the pandemic affect the clam markets? 
a lot of the retail items or take-home items that were easy to cook or easy to prepare, the pandemic actually helped the clam market, the clam market, or the uh, a lot of our retail stores and stuff like that that we sold to have uh, greatly increased their demand and pricing for soft shell clams or mussels or a lot of the items like that. It's 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 been a good thing for the uh, soft shell clam and and aquaculturally grown mussel and oyster industry, I believe. I would agree with that uh, very much. Anything to do with takeout and anything to do with home cooking. When the pandemic first hit in March of last year of 2020, um, things were, you know, just basically all the shutters went on everybody as we all tried to figure out um, what was gonna happen. But, um, and then all of a sudden, boom, two months later, um, our markets just completely exploded uh, with demand uh, for, again, it's the takeout stands, it's the home cooking stuff. It's, uh, you know, it, it really, it, it, I, I was surprised to be honest with you, but uh, if you really think, think it through, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think this pandemic has uh, terrible, awful effects and it's a tragedy in many ways. Um, there were some silver linings for, for, um, for, the stuff that we do, though, there, it did um, pump up demand for what we do. It wasn't worth it. No, of course not. But it, uh, that's the fact. It did stimulate our markets uh, for those things that could be prepared in the way I just said. So, Thanks. Barb, did you want to add to that? I did. Um, the market totally shifted. I mean, there was still the there was solid demand once people realized that they weren't going to be allowed back into restaurants quickly. Um, so the volumes, instead of going to the events or the clam bakes or the lobster bakes or the restaurants or you know weddings and receptions and things such as that, that volume stopped, just went to zero. But then the demand for direct sales to direct to consumers or to ship um, to homes and businesses across the country, um, that increased. So the businesses that were able to adapt with that shift quickly uh, um, were, were able to roll with it. And the ones that couldn't were more deeply affected. So I'll move on to the next question, which we touched on a little bit um, with Quang, but why, don't I see razor clams or surf clams being sold in Maine? I'll, I'll take a quick stab at, at razors. I mean, razor clams are really hard to catch. And that's one thing. I mean, it's, um, I, and they're really only harvested at low tide and when the tides are very, very big um, and the tide goes way out, and it's a real drainer. That's when you get razor clams. So they're, they're very difficult to harvest uh, for the harvester. I mean, they do come in. And when they do, they're very, very perishable. And it's an interesting market because when there's razor clams around for the two or three days of these very, very low tides, there's too many. And then when the tides go away, there's none. So it's a very, very tricky market to maneuver in terms of continuity, in terms of a steady market. So um, 
that's why we buy them on appointment through when we get orders for them, which we do quite often, we buy them on appointment. Um, you know, in other words, we fulfill an order and that's when we ask our harvesters to keep an eye out for them. But uh, I think that at least in Maine, at least around where we are, that's, that's what the, the case is. It's they're really hard to, to tackle, you know, to, to have a consistent market, so. Um, Jessica, I could just add, I don't know anything about really razor clam marketing, but I do know that there was some interest in shipping them to Europe because there is a pretty um, robust market in Europe, I think, for razor clams. And in an effort to sort of make that a possibility, the um, FDA has been working with the European Union for years trying to get an equivalency agreement for their shellfish sanitation program and ours. Um, that was eventually approved, but the preliminary approval was just for the states of Massachusetts and Washington. And so Maine pushed pretty hard to be included in you know, that agreement. Um, and we submitted a package this December to be added to the agreement um, so that people could ship uh, 5L shellfish from Maine from approved areas into the EU. So we had over probably 16 dealers who were interested in being part of that. And I know razor clams and European oysters were two principal products that people were interested in potentially shipping. Speaking there was Cole Canwit, director of the Bureau of Public Health at the Maine Department of Marine Resources. Unfortunately, Cole is the last speaker we have time for today on this rebroadcast of portions of an April 14th, 2021 webinar called From the Mud to Your Plate, Shellfish Markets and the Seafood Supply Chain. The webinar went on for another hour of Q&A covering everything from the impact of COVID-19 on seafood markets to the impact of water quality on shellfish health. I'm grateful to each of our speakers today, starting with the webinar's co-moderator, Jessica Joyce at Tidal Bay Consulting and a member of the Maine Shellfish Advisory Council. At the top of the hour, Charles Rudlich, the Executive Director of Sunrise County Economic Council in Machias, gave us a useful overview of the role that shellfish plays in Maine's seafood economy as a whole. Our panelists included Joe Parada, a commercial harvester from Hancock and chair of the Frenchman Bay Regional Shellfish Committee, Mike Danforth, operations manager at Maine Shellfish Company in Ellsworth, as well as a member of the Shellfish Advisory Council and the Department of Marine Resources Advisory Council, Quang Nguyen, owner of Fisherman's Net in Portland, Bo Marsh at Community Shellfish Company in Bremen, and Barbara Scully at Scully Sea Products in Edgecombe. Thanks to all of you for your time today. This event was the final in a three-part series sponsored by the Maine Fishermen's Forum in lieu of the in-person event that was canceled due to the pandemic. We've been thrilled to be able to share all three of these events through Coastal Conversations and are grateful to WERU Community Radio for their help in getting these on the air. If you want to hear the full webinars or learn more about the previous events, please log on to the Coastal Conversations webpage on the Maine Sea Grant website at seagrant.umaine.edu. Thank you, and see you on the mudflats. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month 
And we also encourage you to listen to our sister program, Talk of the Towns, with host Ron Beard from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday of each month. The Coastal Conversations theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good weekend.